Welcome to episode 6 of the BBFC podcast. This episode was recorded before the shocking events at the screening of The Dark Knight Rises in Colorado on Friday the 20th of July. The BBFC was shocked and saddened by the shooting at the screening. The BBFC appreciates that real-world occurrences can alter the impact of a film, and some of you may wonder if the certificate could change. However, The Dark Knight Rises was classified 12A prior to the incident, and the content of the film falls squarely within the 12A category, which, along with the totality of the BBFC guidelines, is based on wide-scale public consultation. Therefore, the certificate will not be altered for UK screenings, unless local authorities choose to do so on a case-by-case basis. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Well, hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. This is, would you believe, podcast number six, and we've covered, well, everything from horror, 12A, sexual violence, sex. But this edition, I can tell you, is going to be family-friendly because we are going to be looking at children's films and the approach we take to not just films, but DVDs and even video games that are aimed primarily at children. And I'm delighted to say my co-host for this edition is a man who joined the BBFC as an examiner at the same time as me, John Wagland. Welcome. Hello. John, I know everyone's always interested. We always get asked this when we give talks as to people's backgrounds. So just give us a brief introduction of what brought you to the BBFC. Golly. Um, well, I have a sort of rich and varied background, I have to say. Um, I began my career as an actor and then took a pretty drastic left turn into sort of performance art type stuff and then I lived abroad doing that and came back to this country and one thing led to another I wasn't really interested in the acting anymore so I sort of turned myself into a video game designer Uh, but that's very very labour intensive indeed so uh, um, when I saw the ad to come and work here um, in broadcast magazine I think it was I, I just thought well actually there's a job which I seem to be ideally qualified yeah. for. So It's funny how many people think that Yeah, <laughs> when you meet them. Yeah. Can I do your job? Okay. Well, I think the video games experience in, yes. the, in that, at that particular time was, was key. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, welcome along. It's great to have you it's here. Pleasure to be here. Um, now, something exciting for the podcast, and I do hope you're going to be excited about this, is we're going to have our first competition uh, for this podcast. We've actually put together... Uh, a goodie bag which has in it a BBFC mug and a BBFC t-shirt anniversary branded for its our 100th anniversary this year. I'm also going to throw in quite a few little goodies and bits and bobs that you can't buy uh, anywhere so there'll be a unique little bag of film classification memorabilia if you like. Uh, We are going to ask a question at the end of the podcast and uh, you can email your answers and I'll give you the email address at the end of the podcast so stay tuned for that. But on the subject of competitions, we've been running a much bigger competition for children through this year that's just come to a conclusion, and that was the exciting prospect of designing a black card that's actually going to be used in front of a film later this year. The film it's going to be used in front of is Diary of a Wimpy Kid Dog Days, which is a U certificate and will be out in August. And the winner of the competition, we can announce, is Jason Banger, who's 10 years old and from Birmingham, like uh, quite a lot of our entrants uh, Jason was put onto this by the teacher uh, who noticed that the competition was running. We should say, and I think John, you'll agree with me on this, we're always very, very grateful to teachers who take an interest in uh, the work we do on the education side of the uh, BBFC because we put a lot of time and effort into talking to schools and none of that would, ha- would work really without the teachers getting involved and being enthusiastic. Absolutely. 
Now, the picture itself is fantastic. It's got some very good um, press response already today. Uh, it's been called a touch of glamour for the BBFC. It's pretty good. Have you seen it, John? Can you describe it to us? Yeah, it's lovely. It's it's very colourful. Um, at each side, you have red curtains opening, uh, like in a cinema. There are tickets on the floor, a projector, a carton of popcorn. And then also, uh, importantly for us, the BBFC logo is there and all the information is correct with the signatures of the president and the director and the correct classification symbol um, for the film. So it, it, it works in many, on many levels, actually. Yeah, and, and great congratulations uh, to Jason. And he's even got a quote in our press release from David Putnam, Lord Putnam now of Queensgate, who said that he offers his warm congratulations. Jason's design brilliantly captures the uniquely special excitement of the cinema experience and uh, to everyone at the BBFC as we celebrate our centenary year in fine style. So a really special summer for Jason. It'll be a big moment, I think, when he goes into the cinema in early August to watch a film and see his own design in front of it. Yeah, lovely. Let's quickly mention the big films in the cinema at the moment. It's been a big blockbuster summer, hasn't it, so far? And that will continue with The Dark Knight Rises, which I mentioned from a film classification point of view. This is the third instalment in Christopher Nolan's uh, Batman films, and each one of them so far has been controversial in terms of its film classification. We go back to Batman Begins in 05, people felt was a very strong 12A, and perhaps could have been a 15. 2008 saw the release of The Dark Knight, which was our most complained about film in recent years, in fact, John. Um, and The Dark Knight Rises, which has been seen, has been given a 12A and is selling out in cinemas, certainly here in London. I know the IMAX has had fantastic pre-sales. In fact, there's even a talk uh, in one of the papers about ticket touts now selling tickets for I the I early IMAX screenings at £75 a pop. This is the last thing I was going to mention in the news section, which is just to note that Richard Zanuck has died. He was 77. Uh, he led a very eventful life in Hollywood, one of those big names. He started off as a bit of a studio man. His father was president of Fox, and uh, I was interested that that was his beginning. But really, after doing his studio work with Fox and, and others, he then just said, I'm going to do this myself, a bit like Harvey Weinstein, just created his own film company and one of his very early production numbers was Jaws so um, he did pretty well landed on his feet good collaboration with um, Steven Spielberg and so if you look at the list of films that he's produced and been involved with it's a stellar list so we note the passing of Richard Zanuck uh, we have announced that we have released rather our annual report uh, that uh, goes out to officially goes to Parliament and sits in the library of the House of Commons but it's available to anyone online on our website and copies are here as well. A lot of the um, newspapers latched onto the complaints, as you might imagine. It's sort of a good top line when you're looking at the BBFC's year. And uh, we announced that Black Swan was the film that attracted the most complaints last year. But also getting some publicity was Woman in Black, which David told the press was the most complained about film of this year. But it's, uh, it's only halfway through the year, more or less. So yeah, it's early days. But Woman in Black, which sat on the sort of 12, 15 uh, hinterland, was cut for 12A, but did attract some uh, some complaints. So I thought this would be a timely occasion to go back to our boss, David Cook, find out the state of play with the organisation and look back at 2011, not just from the facts and figures point of view, but where the organisation as a whole is headed. Well, I've come up to the second floor, the sweeping bay window over Soho Square, and the site that you've seen for some time now, David, which is <laughs> the rain, which has gone away today, and 
the uh, bit of a building site, really. It's a huge building site, and we can hear it rumbling. Crossrail building work is going on out there, and um, there was some building from next door as well. So, yeah, it's been um, slightly tricky on the ears, but yeah, we survive. Yeah, we all survive. <laughs> There's a huge building site in the whole of west of London. Yes. That's uh, the whole of London for the last couple of years. I guess that will be coming to an end. Right, so let's get to business. We want to talk about the annual report. This mm. is something that... Um, it, because we're a private company, we mm. produce an annual report anyway with the, mm. uh, the RNA, the reporting accounts, but also we have an obligation to Parliament, and I think mm. it's part of our process, isn't it? It's part of our accountability, and the annual report gets um, laid before Parliament. But I think it's a very interesting document, actually, the BBFC annual report. I first looked at it eight years or more ago when I was applying for my job. And it's quite unusual, actually, to get an organisation that gives the reasons for all the decisions it takes. And I, I think that's just very interesting. And, um, you know, if you were in Whitehall or somewhere like that, you might be a bit nervous about it because, oh, you know, is somebody going to take us to court because we've given this reasoning? But um, it's been very much our um our approach to try and be open about what we do and you know I think you and I both find that important in our work. Yeah absolutely and I've certainly noticed over the years a softening in attitudes for people who sit, there's always going to be those people who don't believe in regulation, mm. don't believe in uh, in the role perhaps of the BBSC and there's a kind of group of perhaps the critics sit there kind of cynical about the process but actually they're the ones I think we've won over in recent mm. years just because of that transparency you're talking about. I think that's right and um, the fact that it's all based on open guidelines and big-scale consultation with the public, it does change things because when people ask you questions like, you know, are you here to lead public opinion but, you know, coerce people's thinking in some way, the answer is no. The idea is to be in line with public opinion and to do the research in a very fine, detailed way and on a very big scale um, and throughout the United Kingdom, you know, not just a a London-centric thing, so that we can actually get a detailed take on what broad public opinion expects of us. Okay, we're looking at the documents. The, the big heading, one is that you've said that you want to find out the BBFC's role or value in the internet age. What do you mean by that? That's really important, and it's something I've been thinking about ever since I've been here, that the significant thing is this, that we have no statutory remit in the area of downloads at all. So we can't force anybody to do anything, you know, unlike with films or with DVDs. So that's a whole different deal. And the issue then becomes, how can we make ourselves useful? And that's first to the public. And high percentages of people say that they want to see BBFC classifications on downloaded material as well as on films and on DVDs. It's also to the industry because um, we can provide very good information about the decisions we take. You know, that we've got uh, a lot of education work going on, as you know, and you've discussed before. So there's a lot of backup. You know, this is not just the headline decision: is it a 12A, is it a 15, or, or, or so on. And um, I think the signs are we have a a scheme called BBFC Online, which is attracting a lot of members and a lot of take-up. 
and we also um, are trying to make make it um, obvious to people that we don't just have to use the sort of classic BBFC model, which, as you know, is because you do this, is to see something all through and then look at it in context, because that doesn't work for things like um, user-generated content or web pages and so on. Um, but we can actually apply some of our expertise in these broader areas as well. So that's the kind of work we're doing in that area. And just to be clear, we're not talking about a formal regulatory backed up by legislation type role here. No, we're not. I mean, that's not our business, really. That's the business of government to decide whether it's happy with the state of regulation in this area or whether there need to be any sort of targeted uh, extensions. But that's not a that's not a, a question for the BBFC. What the BBFC has to do is to say, look, you know, we're here and uh, we can be useful and we can do what whatever people, um, you know, what government or parliament thinks is, is would be a useful thing to do. Okay, another area you brought up in the annual report, and I know you've spoken to the press about this already, mm. is sexual violence. Yeah. Our last podcast, we looked at the whole area of sexual violence. As an organisation, we're now taking a, a research project forward. Mm. This is this is very important because a combination of public opinion and the research tells us that sexual violence is not the only area, but it's the area where there's most concern. Um, so we just need to make sure that anything we do in that area is, is well-founded. Um, so we've got a um, programme of um, work and it partly involves looking at all the psychological research and getting an overview of that. And then this latest phase that we're doing at the moment involves um, consulting people and saying, what do you think might be harmful? You know, what worries you in this kind of material? So that we can make sure that we're actually targeting the right kind of details in our interventions. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, and the final area that I wanted to ask you about was exemptions. Mm. Um, people may or may not know, but the Video Recordings Act does allow for some exempt material, i.e. Mm. if you make a documentary or it's predominantly sport or mm. predominantly music video, you don't have to submit it to us. And that is a decision made by the distributors. Mm. They make that call themselves. We mm. don't issue the E, you sometimes mm. see an E on packaging. But there's some talk about a shift now in mm. that area, isn't mm. there? It's a slightly difficult thing to get your head around, actually, because um, what we're really talking about here is exceptions to the exemptions, right? So you've got these exemptions for things like education and sport and um, certain documentaries and so on. But are there things even within that area which nevertheless ought to come to us? And um, what's happened is that the government is having a big consultation about this at the moment. The BBFC has made a submission along with um, a number of other important bodies, including the British Video Association and, and a number of others. So it's a joint piece of work. And it's looking really at whether we're drawing the line in the right place. Um, we have no power actually to go out and drag these things in, but we you know, do things like mystery shopping from time to time to see what's, what's around. 
Um, and we reckon that at any one time, at the moment, there could be about 200 titles which um, are exempt and haven't come to us, but which raise issues that um, people might think we ought to be looking at. And just to give you a bit of um, flavour for what sort of thing we're talking about, in the documentary area you get documentaries about serial killers, you get um, documentaries about the Holocaust with a particular you know, problematic slant to them. For in, in the sport area you get things like cage fighting and extreme fighting. Um, and in, in music you get, um, and there are some uh, heavy metal bands for instance that um, produce audiovisual material where there are issues about self-harm, you know, people um, carving um, names into their wrists, that sort of thing. Um, so ultimately it's for the government and then for Parliament to decide whether the line is drawn in the right place. But we think that um, there's a good consensus across the industry and, and that's the submission that's gone in. So it's Backman Turner Overdrive and Black Sabbath have to be nervous <laughs> about not, their suicide references. Not necessarily. Not, I, I mean, obviously there's going to be questions if the government does decide to shift this line. Um, you know, there'll be detailed things to look at and think about on um, who's caught and who isn't caught. I think the concern is that at the moment, I think when the exemptions were originally drawn up, the idea that was that this was all material which should be unproblematic, and by and large that's the case. But you know, we're all about child protection, and is there any material which raises serious child protection issues that's covered by these exemptions that maybe shouldn't be? Yeah, from an examiner point of view, I'd rather hope to get all the tests cricket DVDs in, but we are talking about that being ironed out in the future and we're talking about the top end as you say yeah. cage fighting is more likely yeah I'm not sure cricket is quite going to um, trigger the you know be be on the wrong side it of it can get quite heated sometimes it, it can do no it's um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a funny old game as you yeah. know James indeed and on that note David thank you very much you're very welcome David Cook talking to me in his uh, oak-panelled office looking out onto Soho Square, which should be a pleasant view, especially in the middle of summer. The rest of us are all in windowless offices, aren't we, like rabbits and warrens. Okay, <laughs> let's move on to our key subject. Rabbits in mines. Rabbits in mines, no. <laughs> well, we might talk about Wardship Down in a moment, which are the scariest rabbits the cinema has ever seen in this country. We are talking about children's classification issues. So, John Wagner, you're going to help me go through this. Let's start i suppose at the lower end of things at you and pg first of all uh, i guess there's a broad approach we take to children's works and we do flesh this out in the guidelines where we do look for a more positive story than you necessarily have to have at a higher category we look at as you say the sort of tone and and the overall appeal of of the work and i i think you in that context you're always analyzing as well what the parental response will be to it in terms of how their children will react to what's on screen. We talk a lot about the overall effect on on the child in terms of whether it will be whether it will cause them unnecessary anxiety. So, yeah, because that's not to say a children's film can't be frightening. No, exactly not. I mean, I think if we take Toy Story three, I think was a good e example uh, of a film that could be considered frightening in some ways, and we 
we pass that you now there's a sequence uh, in the film when the toys are on a conveyor belt woody um buzz mr is it pig potato percy head. the pig potato head all all the main characters uh and they're going on a, a conveyor belt and they're due to be melted down and uh, and you see them and they're about to fall into this fiery pit and they're all holding hands and you f- you really fear for their for their continued existence and then out of nowhere the little alien characters rescue them by scooping them up the claw. with a claw and you know the scene uh, carries on I, i've i've shown that clip recently uh, to uh, mixed audiences of children and adults and discussed it and it's quite interesting because a lot of the children are very much they suspend their disbelief in a way which means as far as they're concerned there's no way that they're going to kill Woody and all these characters whereas parents imbue it with uh, a lot of sophisticated or more sophisticated interpretation which means that it can be more moving more affecting and therefore more frightening, more scary. Uh, so I yeah. think one of the jobs is to interpret how you think a child will react uh, and not be overly prescriptive when they will find something exciting rather than frightening uh, and then judge that in the context of the way parents will also view that scene. That's, that point you make, which does uncover a bit of a tension in the way that we work at children's levels, and people may ask the question, who are we classifying for? Are we classifying for the children? Are we classifying for classifying for the parents and sometimes there is a balancing act there I mean I, the Toy Story 3 I think is a really good example I can tell you when I took my two children who were eight and six to see that my wife and I were in tears we found it really moving then our children are like looking and you're quite right they're saying well where's my popcorn and oh they're going to be fine oh here comes the claw and they just the film had a big emotional impact in a completely different way depending on your age and that's examiners we've got to somehow come up with a classification that works for both. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. We do, essentially, we classify for parents because we're providing the consumer advice and the guidance, in particularly with you and PG films, to give parents the information they need and the guidance they need to be able to make an informed decision about whether they want to go with their children to this particular film or whether they don't. So, essentially, we are classifying for parents but I think within that obviously we have to take into account the way a child might respond to something and often a child will perhaps find something exciting if it's scary in a certain way as opposed to being terrified by it uh, because they suspend their disbelief in a different way than an adult will uh, entering into the spirit of it in of the film in quite a different way Obviously, that's the line that we have to judge when something crosses a line and becomes more terrifying or more scary yeah. in a way that's more sustained. Then you move from U to PG and then obviously up to 12. Hugo was a film, I think, that really did work on two levels. Children can go to that film and enjoy it as an adventure, a fantasy, uh, go on the journey with Hugo as he, as he attempts to make this robot that is uh, at the centre of the film continue to make it function and and that represents something to do with his father and that's about his life continuing and all sorts of symbols that you could read into that but children just see the adventure story they see the fun and the dreamlike qualities of the movie whereas from an adult point of view the film is pretty much 
a homage to the very origins of cinema and it's about in particularly Georges Méliès and perhaps that's another one of the factors that is mitigating at you because the film overall with the use of 3D certainly has a sort of magical quality to it that also um, evokes the sort of origins of early cinema the way it's presented the Sacha Baron Cohen is vaguely Chaplin-esque for example Mm. so as an adult you can go towards the movie with all those things as a child you enjoy the funny moments and the adventure so I think it works on both levels and through the U category and our guidelines it's actually quite a broad category lots of adult films can go at U and Hugo's an example of a film that works in both but we've got films going back all the way to the Dam Busters which is a controversial U perhaps because of the name of the dog but nonetheless is a U um, <clears throat> but there are some hard lines for us at U and things like discrimination discriminatory language we say in the guidelines uh, that that behavior and language will not be in a U unless it's clearly disapproved of unless the sequence is an anti-discrimination discriminatory language sequence the same thing applies to drugs we're not saying that you couldn't ever mention drugs in a U film that would make for instance an aside about the opium wars a problem for us if we had that but if drugs are there references to illegal drugs or misuse have to be infrequent and innocuous or clearly educational with an anti-drug message so they're quite tight rules about you and that's something uh, and we'll come to violence and weapons in a moment that can very quickly push a film or a work out of the universal category yeah a good example particularly in relation to the discrimination guidelines would be um a little while ago we had a dvd an extra for a dvd release uh which was a little mermaid um, uh, video. So it was a little little game, uh, and you had to kind of copy dances. Um, you had to make a character copy a dance, as I understand it. And at one point, one of the extra characters comments on this particular uh, character dancing badly, saying that he looks like a piece of spastic, a spastic piece of kelp. Mm. Um, and that's something, you know, uh, we looked at immediately inappropriate you because it's not it's not shown to be used in a bad way at all it's obviously a derogatory term in the context towards someone with a physical disability that falls within uh, the you guideline in a way that is obviously unacceptable um, uh, and so it actually in 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 the end was cut um, yeah. in order to obtain the use certificate that was requested. Well, that's something we would probably put to 12 um, rather than yeah. PG even, so that in a, in a work that's aimed at almost preschool children, there's no point in having it in there, so they would, they would make that cut. This is, again, I think a slight difference between us and the States. I've noticed children's works uh, on television at home that do use the word spaz. It just does not seem to resonate in the same way in the States as it does here, and I'm not sure why, but we know from our own research that parents, particularly parents of children with cerebral palsy, do not like to hear this word. It's a marginalising word. It can be a very hurtful word. And frankly, John, you and I are more or less the same age. When we were at school, it was an insult and a fairly common one in the playground. It's actually gained a bit more credence again now at the kind of 15 level, perhaps the in-between. I might be being harsh on the in-between, so I think maybe it's cropped up in in that um, that type of work. 
slightly reinvented, maybe ironically, although there's some debate about that. But at children's level, it's not something. I mean, discriminatory, discriminatory language is something parents are very hot on. I think it's a it's a it's a general attitude towards looking at the way children view and understanding the way children learn, and that has a strong influence on our decisions about the appropriateness of certain materials at those at those children's categories. Now, I have to warn you, I'm going to use some mild bad language now. So just briefly talk about language as we move on to PG. Uh, we do allow what we describe as very mild bad language to you, which I guess are words like jerk and damn and hell, uh, God and sod get in there. Um, once it starts to get questionable at you, and there are some exceptions for this, but crap is uh, not something we pass routinely at you ass in fact in fact we did have we did have an ass in the pirates and adventure in an adventurous scientist and there were a couple of complaints about it but it was a comic context for it um bloody bugger and tart and piss off will most of the time not be accepted at you and will start to raise the category one of the things that can take a film uh, out of you and it's pg is what we talk about an emphasis on realistic or easily accessible weapons and John I wanted just just to mention Tangled in a sense a lot of people may have looked at Tangled a Disney film based on Rapunzel and wondered why that was a PG the final scene of the movie uh, uh, a young the young hero with whom she's become acquainted comes to rescue her finally and below screen the horrible woman stabs him. We see the knife above screen. It glints slightly, then below screen. Uh, she stabs him. We don't see any of that. And then as he lies dying on the floor, um, there's a small patch of red, of blood, visible between the, the buttons of his of his tunic. Of course, um, the this is quite quickly resolved. Again, we talk about uh, scenes that will cause undue anxiety. Quite quickly it becomes clear that Rapunzel's tears have now become magical and he's cured and he's rescued and everybody lives happily ever after. But the emphasis on the knife and the blood just took that film uh, towards PG, into PG, whereas contextually I guess the whole of the rest of the movie felt very solidly uh, within the U sort of territory but we do say um, you know there may only be mild violence only uh, at you whereas at PG there is a greater allowance for moderate violence and the focus on the weapon is a more moderate uh, image and this is in part it's an imitable behavior issue as well one of the reasons why actually if um, if she'd shot him that wouldn't have been so much an issue for us and could well have gone at you, but then children can't reach into a drawer in their kitchen and get yeah. a gun, but they can get a knife. And it's something that, um, you know, very young children who copy things, as you say, it's, it's an aspect of children's classification that we're keenly aware of and therefore do take a more cautious line on. So we're up at PG now. This is an issue, this is a, I talked about you being a broad category, PG, I think equally so because at the bottom end you have Tangled which sneaks in for specific issues at the top end you've got films with as you say moderate violence in it which is more a 12 trope but within a context that allows it to be digested by children and not have that kind of upsetting impact on them Um, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief uh, is an example of one that's towards the top end of the category and in fact cuts were made to bring it back down to PG well, actually what happened with Percy Jackson, 
before it came to us, it was cut by the MPAA, in fact. Uh, and there's one scene in particular where a group of youngsters are trying to uh, retrieve this magical rod which belongs to Zeus and various of the gods have come back to contemporary America to fight for this because it will give them uh, the ability to control uh, the... Hades, is it? You're going to test me on my Greek gods now. <laughs> where do they live? But yeah. So there's a scene in which they go to get this magical element required uh, to sort of succeed in their quest, and they fight their way out of a casino. Um, in the version that arrived with us, several moments of violence have been taken out, and these included a young woman smacking people over the head with a fat end of a broken pool cue uh, a man having his face smashed into a wall and also uh, the lead character Percy Jackson the protagonist the hero glassing someone um, picking up a glass you should say there's no strong detail in this there's no blood spurts or anything but all those actions still take place in fact the fact that they're bloodless and and don't result in serious injuries in some ways an aggravating factor yeah they're bloodless but they appear absolutely harmless and I think the issue certainly at the PG-12 border there is that these are all young characters that the audience will associate with and identify with. So we're getting back round again to the notion of imitability and the idea of picking up a glass and sticking it in someone's face as a reasonable way of defending yeah. oneself it, it is clearly inappropriate at PG. Um, and, and, and that's why those those things were, t- you know, were taken out by the MPA. And also, had that version been submitted to us, I'm sure we would have felt the same way about it, that those those elements of personalised violence, though bloodless, were unacceptable at PG. They, they stretched uh, that definition of what moderate violence in a fantasy context uh, could be. Yeah, and there's, um, it's worth mentioning that I think it was a previous version of our guidelines talked about violence shouldn't be presented as a solution yeah, an automatic to, solution to a to, problem. To problems and issues, and um, and that still very much holds with us. In turn, I think, sorry. Sorry, yeah, I just think it's interesting that actually if you look at the sort of cut-down version and you look at the, the version which contains the moments that I've described, the accent on the emphasis on the cut-down version is very much on the adventure, yeah. the activity of them escaping, whereas in the other one... It's about them fighting. It's about them fighting. Yes, I and agree. it's a very it's 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 only a couple of moments that you need to remove in order to change that, but the emphasis is quite clear between the two. Yeah. One, obviously suitable for children of sort of below twelve from say the age of eight upwards. The other one well well, certainly better suited to children who have a more sophisticated understanding of the real world impact of that type of violence or those sorts of activities, what, that, what yeah. might occur. It's very noticeable that they don't stop moving in the cut version. They're moving through the casino, pausing when they absolutely have to to grab things. In the other one, they stop and fight quite a lot. And the girl in particular looks pretty cool, doesn't she? She looks she's, like she's enjoying yeah, herself. Yeah, she sort of flips the, uh, the pool cue in her hand and then, and then beats somebody with it. Um, in terms of immutable technique, which is something we mentioned uh, at you and is, is very much an issue at PG as well, often if it's an immutable technique concern for us, it takes the film not out of, not from you to PG but up the categories to the point where they're going to make a cut. And sometimes, as in the next film, it's a compulsory cut. Uh, this was a film actually from Disney Pictures called Rocket Man, which was 
uh, obviously aimed at a junior audience. It had a U request when it came to us, but in fact was headed for a PG because of the mild language. And the opening sequence of this uh, is actually quite breathtaking, but the opening <laughs> sequence of this is a quite wittily conceived idea of what looks like a space scene where you see the blue planet Earth, you hear what is a child's voice doing the astronaut calls down to Houston and describing what he can see. As the camera pulls back, the reveal is that the boy has climbed into a tumble dryer, a large industrial tumble dryer that happens to be in this, uh, this domestic home in America. And he's looking out from this, and as he gets to the countdown for the retro rocket fire sequence, we see that the tumble dryer turns itself on, and he gets tumbled around in it, and he says, oh, I want my mummy, I want my mummy. His mummy turns up, opens the door and says, oh, look at you, you shouldn't really be doing that. And his father turns up and says, sweet pickle pineapple. Sweet pickle pineapples. Why aren't you out there playing football like all the other kids? And that's the end, that's the introduction to the film. Well, when you do our job, a lot of people don't notice these stories because they're always quite small on the front page of national newspapers. But when you do our job, you notice that every year in this country, small children climb into confined spaces and die. They climb into yeah. tumble dryers, they lock themselves into fridge. doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. We had one earlier this year, which I did notice. And there was a boy last year who climbed into a tumble dryer when playing hide-and-seek and, was, and wasn't and found for yeah. two days. And, and then was found the dead. idea of opening a children's film with somebody playing in a tumble dryer with no admonishment from the parents, the idea that he could be heard from inside, the idea that he could survive it switching on, um, the severe consequences of that were just outweighed any argument about freedom of expression or anything else that, uh, that we may have, we may, or we always consider before making cuts. Um, and that film was cut, that was compulsory cut under the Video Recordings Act. If you make one cut and that saves just one child's life or one child from being injured. It sounds very melodramatic, but that's actually the realm that yeah. we're in. And I think that's, that's, an, that's an enormous responsibility for us and, 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 and ultimately the most important thing that we do here, I think. And there, there comes a point at, and it is probably about the 12 level, where these things are so self-evident, we can be a little bit more relaxed about them, despite the consequences that we know 12-year-olds by that stage are, um, have the cognitive ability to work out this is not a good thing to do but when we're dealing with younger children and a PG work aimed at children like Tangled is going to be seen we have to be realistic about this is going to be seen by a U audience yeah. um, we, do, uh, we do of course exercise a lot of caution I just want to talk about language which we mentioned at U and now we're at PG um, before we conclude this discussion uh, these lists they always sound slightly odd and uh, they're not absolutely prescribed but they're a guidance for us when we look at pg we talk in the guidelines about mild bad language only and if you get some pg works out you'll be able to toss up this list for yourself but we are talking about things like shit dickhead arsehole screw son of a bitch bastard there are one or two exceptions of bastard in the literal sense in the shakespearean context i think have gone at you um so when do we go from pg to 12 well first of all the f word will never be passed uh, below 12. So the F word, even a single use, will take a work automatically to 12 and occasionally a distributor will ask us uh, for a cut to bring it back down to PG. Um, it's also some moderate language that isn't the F word, if you like, it's between mild and strong, uh, which are usually derogatory um, words like whore, uh, bitch, twat, shag and we talked about earlier spaz and retard which is the, the american version of that they will also take a work out of the young children's realm out of that you and p 
PG area uh, and into 12 at a minimum. Um, there are some exceptions, particularly with the word bitch. It's a, it's a wide-ranging word, bitch. So you can get the yeah. kind of, oh, you bitch. Well, uh, and often self-referential, I was such a bitch, which is not the same as particularly a man to a woman calling her a bitch. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, it's, it's one of those things where, again, um, as society sort of moves onward, uh, certain words attain a different significance. Bitch, in particular has become, in certain contexts, much more heavily misogynistic than perhaps it used to be. So our judgment often is to decide whether we think it's used in a sufficiently sort of derogatory way directed towards a female, uh, as opposed to just being, oh, he was being kind of bitchy and it's rather throwaway and it means yeah. something different. So I, for me personally, I always look out for what I consider to be the sort of misogynistic, which again, in some ways, brings us back towards the sort of discriminatory, the essence of what's in, embodied in the discriminatory guidelines, which is about uh, protecting people from hate speech. And so uh, again, it's, it's, it's a way of of protecting young people from the use of misogynistic language at the lower categories. And I can give you some examples. If, for those of you who want to go away and do some homework on this, I'm sure you all do, uh, the 2009 version of Fame had two non-aggressive, non-directed uses of bitch, and that was allowed at PG. Uh, a film that fell foul of it, however, Legally Blonde, was taken to 12 for uh, aggressive and directed uses of bitch. Uh, and in fact, Sweet Home Alabama, although it was comic, it was still an aggressive use, and that also uh, helped that film up to 12. Okay, John, it's um, it's quite a wide-ranging area of children's film, and it's one of the aspects of our job that you can be watching some very, shall I use the expression, very adult-orientated material one moment, then you put that disc away and load up another disc, and you're watching a cartoon aimed at children. So our job is quite broad in that sense but it's an area that's uh, very interesting we do take expert advice on it we have a panel uh, we, we meet with uh, from time to time who watch an entire film and we discuss it with them afterwards and our job uh, as the board is to sit and listen to people who work in the criminal justice system who work in child psychology uh, and the medical profession and we listen to all of those experts opinions that all helps feed into our position on children's films and I think uh, I'd like to thank you John for helping explain that my pleasure to be here now, I did say the competition question is going to come at the end of the podcast, so let me do that before we go. This is an opportunity to win a BBFC goodie bag, and I'm sure you'll want that. It's going to have a BBFC Centenary mug in it, a BBFC Centenary t-shirt. I am going to collect a few other bits of memorabilia that you won't be able to purchase outside of this building to make it a, a special bag for you. The question is this. Now, we talked at the beginning of the podcast about the kids' competition winner, Jason Banger, who designed his BBFC black card. What film is that black card going to go in front of? So that's the question. What film is Jason Banger's black card going to go in front of? Answers to the email address podcast at bbfc.co.uk. That's podcast at bbfc.co.uk. And if you need any more help, you may want to revisit the beginning of the podcast. Okay, until next time, from me, James Blatch. And from me, John Wagland. Goodbye. Goodbye. Red 5, where are you? I can't shake it!